0: I left for Maryland uh, before Christmas, and Minnesota felt like the Caribbean <laughs> and then I came back and then I went, okay, yeah there 's the Siberian tundra wasteland that I call home. <laughs> Thank you for uh, coming you know it 's negative twenty Hardy Nords, all of us, so appreciate that i uh, We're continuing our series in Ecclesiastes, and um, the heading in your Bibles, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, it's a death comes to us all. And I wanted to share kind of a funny conversation between a father and his seven-year-old daughter. Uh, That's just adorable. And um, there was a daughter who asked her father, it said, Daddy, does the sun always, or sorry, does the earth always go around the sun? And the father replied, "Yeah, yeah, it does." And she then asks, "Will it always go around the sun forever?" And her dad says, "Well, no. Uh, scientists say that one day the sun's going to explode." <laughs> and then she starts crying immediately for the death of all humanity. And then, she, <laughs> and then, and then he says to to try and comfort her and save it. He says, "Oh no, honey." The sun isn't going to explode until you and everyone you know has been dead for a very long time. (laughs) So in the span of 12 seconds, she knew that she was going to die, everyone she knew was going to die, and that the sun's going to explode. But uh, thankfully, I guess the daughter took it pretty well, because she was just like, well, what do I do with this? I guess I'll go play. I don't know. (laughs) But it's strange that as human beings, we have the knowledge that we're going to die. And the, the moment we're born, the moment we're born, we are subject to death. And the only thing that we are owed is, is death because the wages of sin is death. And God's word enlightens us on the matter of how the providence of God works in death, in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you haven't already, we are... uh, Go ahead and open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and we will read from the top. We will be studying verses 1 through 6. The Word of God reads, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate... Man does not know both are before him. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. So we like to go line by line here at vertical. So we will start at verse 1 and work our way down. So verse 1, it reads again, But all this, this is Solomon speaking, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know both are before him. So we see in this chapter, the first verse starts with the word but, which indicates that there was an idea before this that we need to consider in the following statement in verse 1. So Pastor Chris uh, last week preached on chapter 8 about how sometimes the righteous suffer the consequences of the wicked and how sometimes the wicked reap the rewards of the righteous. Essentially, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Chapter 8 also ends with the idea that no one can find out the word of God. So you and me we can't, you know, thread conspiracy red line threads to find out fully the plans of God. It's impossible. So if Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, apart from Christ is concluding that he can't find it out, then we certainly have no hope in finding everything out. So Solomon is saying that after examining it all, he sees that the deeds of the righteous and wise are in the hand of God, which means in God's loving care, which is the providence of God, which means simply that it is God's sovereign care and guidance for his people to accomplish his purposes in the universe. we see in this verse that Solomon uses the term, the terms, the righteous and the wise. And you may think, I thought that the Bible also says that no one is righteous, no, not one, and you would be correct. No one is righteous outside of Jesus, right? Righteousness is not obtained by merit or human will or exertion. Righteousness is a gift through Jesus Christ. In faith. It says in Genesis, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those who hunger for righteous also hunger for Jesus. And you who are in Christ and are counted as righteous, if you are righteous and your deeds are therefore in the hand of God and what a comforting thought that that is but it also can be a very fearful one if you direct your eyes to the screen at Philippians 2 verses 12-13 it reads work out your own salvation with fear and trembling why? for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure this means you who are united in Jesus. Anything that you do for the kingdom of God and for Jesus, your acting is his acting. The work that you do is God's work in you. And why should that make us fear and tremble? One reason is indicated in the latter half of verse 1 in Ecclesiastes 9. It says, the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. And pay, pay close attention to this next part. It says, whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. So being the Lord's son or daughter means you are under the Lord's sovereign care, which means that Romans 8.28, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose applies to you. So as Christians, we know that the end destination is gloriously good, right? Where we're transformed into the image of Christ, and we're being with God forever. It's the happenings that Solomon is saying on this side of eternity in which we are not sure what's going to happen, whether it is love or hate both lay before us, right? In this life, we can get a brand new car or get into a car accident. We can get a promotion or we can get fired. We can receive compliments or criticism. We could live a healthy life or get cancer at 40. We don't know, but there are two things that we do know that all of it is in God's hands and all of it works for good. The happenings of this life are a mystery. And as an example, I'd like to bring up two righteous and wise believers in Christ. Real life examples. We have John Piper and Keith Green. Now, some of you may be familiar with John Piper, master theologian. He's helped countless of people, including myself with his organization, Desiring God, people to knowing Jesus more, getting intimacy with Jesus. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be in the job I am today if it wasn't for desiring God. And and God has used John Piper in mighty ways to share the good news of Jesus Christ to millions of people. He's still alive and thriving in ministry for Christ at 182 years old. (laughs) He's in his 70s, but uh, just to clarify, he's not that old. Um, But the point is, is that here is a righteous and wise believer in Christ who, by the hand, by the hand of God, has made it to his old age and is still doing deeds for Jesus. And then we have Keith Green. Any Keith Green fans? Who knows Keith Green? Okay, one, two, like three people out of six hundred. Um, so, <laughs> Keith Green. I would would guess, yeah, about maybe 98% of the room may not be familiar with Keith Green. Keith Green was a Christian singer-songwriter in the 70s. And seriously, check him out on Spotify after this. His music is gold. There's some bangers. Seriously, this ain't Radio Disney. It's Gospel Slaps. And Keith was not only a singer-songwriter, but a a prominent evangelist. Um, and, And God used him to lead many, many people to himself. And as a righteous and wise man in, in Christ, he died at the age of 28 in a plane crash. Young dad, had a lot of kids, looked like he had a really promising future in ministry. So it seemed, it seemed really wrong or, or weird that he would go so quickly. He was, he was a passenger in a smaller aircraft that exceeded the weight limit. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, but both are before him. So both righteous and wise men with very different lives, very different timing events, but striving for the same goal all in God's hands. Keith died young, yet the same thing, the same event will, hap- will happen to John Piper, and it will happen to you and me as well. As we read in verse 2, it says, it is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. The same thing happens to us all, death. And you, you, you may have heard Yoda-like figures uh, try to soothe the sting of death, saying that death is a natural part of life. And essentially what the argument would be is that death is so inevitable that it must be natural. It happens to everyone, so it must be natural. But, but death is in the cycle of nature, and by God's grace, he brings life out of death. Right? Springtime is, is God's redemption in nature. It preaches redemption every spring. But death, in and of itself, is not natural. Um, Our our nature is living, breathing human beings, and we were created to continue to be living, breathing human beings. Death, I don't know if you've noticed, death is not a good look for us. Death is not a good look for human beings. The the decaying of flesh and the stench is unbearable. No No one stands by the road and breathes in roadkill and goes, Ah, nature. Death in and of itself is not a good look, as it, as, as it says in verse 3, it says, this is, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. We're not meant for death. If we die, what if, what's the point of living if you're just going to die? It's futile. And I, I want to cover our basis here because we don't want to draw the wrong conclusion that when sin entered the world through Adam, that the curse of death instituted by God was an evil action by God. That's not the case. The, the, The placing of the curse of death was not a moral evil of any kind, but it was a just act because the wages of sin is death. God tells Adam and Eve that if they sin, they will surely die. So the punishment was made clear and the evil stench of death Enter the world. And on top of that, as we read in the latter half of verse 3, it says also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. So not only does everyone die, but the children of man, the first man, Adam, are committing all kinds of evil and madness along the way. You've, you've heard the saying, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. And not only do we end in disaster, but the road is also paved in disaster, calamity, genocide, all sorts of evil. We're, we're essentially living to die. But in verse 4, it says, But he who is joined with all the living has hope. You've heard sayings like, you know, if you're still breathing, you're still in the fight, right? Anyone anyone ever see that Jocko video? Good. You're still breathing. You're still in it. You're alive. Keep going. Keep hoping. The latter half of of verse 4 says, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. How many dog people we have in the congregation? Dog people? How about cat people? Nice, all right. I got both hands up. I love both of them. Um, if you're a dog person, you, you may have thought to yourself, man, look at that dog, you know? <laughs> that little scamp has a better life than I do. It Just lays on the floor, gets fed, it receives so much love from the family, playing Frisbee, no time card, no taxes. It's like you're living the dream. And you might think, like, a dog's life would be the life, right? So, so you may look at this verse and say, hey, you know what? Living as a dog, that's not, that's not a bad deal. But the Bible has a very different depiction of dogs in ancient Israel. Uh, there are many instances where dogs are referred in the Bible as just gross. Um, mis- misleading prophets are referred to as dogs in the Bible. Male prostitutes are referred to as dogs. In the books of First and Second Kings, dogs are described to be fierce, hungry, and you know, devouring dead bodies and licking blood. So most likely, when you come across the word dog in Scripture, it's derogatory. And so the, the dogs in Israel aren't the, you know, the fluffy Pomeranians or whatever I, I see on TikTok all the time. They're not like those dogs. They're, they're, they're gross. But, but, but it is better... Than being a dead lion. You think of a lion, lions are the most free animal, top of the food chain. They can sleep at night because no one's going to mess with them. You see them in the Sahara on the nature channels, they're just blinking slowly because they're not worried about a thing. But if the lion is dead, what's the point of being at the top of the food chain if you're dead? As verse 5 reads, says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. The dead know nothing. And um, when someone dies, isn't it, in, isn't it interesting when, when, our, our, when someone dies, our language regarding the person immediately changes from the present tense to the past tense. Um, My my, my grandfather died many years ago, and when we were honoring him at the funeral, instead of saying he is a good man, we we were saying he was a good man. Why is that? He was in the casket in the funeral, like he was right next to us, We were talking about him. I could still see him. But it's because when my grandpa died, even though his body was there, he was not there anymore. His spirit was gone. He was gone. Even though his material state was still there. That's why when somebody dies, we don't call the body a human being anymore. We call it a cadaver. It's something else. And since we live in a very materialistic and biologically emphasized world, we really hardly consider the spirit of a person, or really the essence of who they are when we're living, right? When people ask you who you are, right? When someone asks, who are you? You give them your name, which is, which is a good answer, it's an acceptable answer, right? I say, someone asks, hey, who are you? I said, I'm Garrett Thorson. But If you really think about it, Garrett Thorson are just two words that my parents have given me. It's my name, but it's not who I am. Just like when we talk about our bodies, we say this is my arm, this is my leg, this is my body. We don't say I am arm, I am leg, I am body. If your arm is amputated, that wouldn't make any less of you in your humanity. So when you strip all of the material parts out of us, out of the equation, what do we have left? Who are we? If someone were to ask me who I really was, stripped of my name, my job, my body, the core and my spirit of my identity would be my answer. I'm a creation of God. I'm God's creation. I'm a child of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I die, people will say that Garrett is not with us anymore. He's moved on. Well, where did I go? My spirit went to be with God. I am with God. I am not here anymore. So when people in our lives do die or pass on, one of the things that we do here on earth who are not alive is that we keep the memory of them alive. We, you know, to, to keep the memory of them alive, we tell stories, we uh, honor them during the holidays, but as each generation passes, the memory can only be kept alive for so, for so long. And we come to the same sad conclusion that Solomon does in verse 5. It says, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. When he continues in verse 6, he says, Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. There is no hope in death. The deeds of the living perish along with them and can share no more with the living under the sun. And as we end this section at at, at verse 6, it ends particularly bleakly. And I believe that is on purpose. I can imagine Solomon, as he's writing this, is either weeping and or anxious, pondering these truths and putting them onto paper. And, and really, as we go through this series, the point of this book, going through this book as a church, is not to end in meaninglessness, right? We don't, we don't, wanna, we don't want you guys to walk out of here without any hope if, if that were the case, my message would be much shorter, and I would just get up here and say, everybody dies, and then we'd all leave and go home. <laughs> God has so much more intended meaning in these pages than what we might see at first glance, right? God is so good that he can bring meaning out of meaninglessness. And even in the hopelessness and evil that is found in, in death, Our greatest good and hope is found in his death, the death of Jesus. We don't find hope in death. We find hope in his death. There is a purpose even, there is a purpose found even in death in Romans 8, chapter 20. It reads, for the creation was subjected to futility. So... As a result of our sin, God subjected us to futility, meaninglessness, or as the King James version puts it, vanity. For the creation was subjected to vanity, all of creation. Us have been subjected to the vanity of it all. We've been subjected to death, the end, not at all. The verse reads on, in verse 20, it reads, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Not willingly because even though we committed the crime, that we did not willingly accept the punishment that came for that crime. But if you look after that, after the word, futility, vanity, death, We were subjected to it in hope. How do we go from futility to hope so quickly? Futility means the exact opposite of hope, it means pointless, hopeless. What is the hope? It's in verse 21 of Romans 8 it reads for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God the futility the vanity the hopelessness in death that we experience is meant to stir our hearts into groaning and point us to the ultimate hope that sets us free in corruption from corruption and death and go back to our intended nature in gloriously good, eternal beings of God Almighty. All death on earth is hopeless and evil. There was only one death in which new life came. Romans 6 reads, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Think about this confounding statement, right? So, so death having no dominion over Jesus, is that he, it means he conquered death, he beat it. How did he conquer death? Well, in verse 10 in Romans 6, it reads that he beat death through death. You go up to heaven, you ask Jesus, Hey, Jesus, how did you beat death? And he goes, I, I died. <laughs> you go, what? That doesn't make any sense. If you died, doesn't that mean that you were beat by death? In Acts chapter 2, it reads, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus died by death, but could not be held by death. Therefore, he conquered death. Remember that verse we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 4? I believe it's up on the screen. It is better to be a living dog than a dead lion. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus, the Lion of Judah, received our wages on our behalf and became a dead lion. But he didn't stay dead. And there is another lion who will stay dead. Did you know that there's another being in the Bible that is described as a lion? We look at 1 Peter 5.8, it reads, Be so reminded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Jesus is the true lion of Judah, who died and who was raised from the dead to live forever. Satan is a pretend lion, trying to mimic the power of God, and will very soon find himself a permanently dead lion. Jesus, the risen lion, right, as he says, someone who is greater than Solomon, not only didn't stay dead, but will soon make Satan the dead lion. Jesus says that we will never die. It's powerful to read King Jesus' words in Ecclesiastes 9 through Solomon, right? He's lamenting death, but then we see King Jesus post-incarnation with his eyes fixed on the cross Tell us something utterly shocking. If you look towards the screen, John 11, it says, I am the, this is Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And John 5 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. King Jesus says through Solomon that death is meaningless. And King Jesus says through his death and resurrection that we will go from life to life. Christian, if you are in Jesus Christ, you will never die. You will be transported from life to life. When we read passages like these in Ecclesiastes, it doesn't, it doesn't just lament over the tragedy of death, it screams and preaches the hope in the death of Christ. You read this and you go, yes, life is full of death and evil, so thanks be to God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has beat death with death, right? In him and only him, in, only in Jesus, we find hope in hopelessness. We find meaning in vanity. We find freedom in bondage. And we find death. We find life in death. Only he can do that. No one can tell me that he's not amazing. That he can make the worst thing in the world be the best thing in the world. And through his death, Jesus conquered death. I've noticed how as as we've been going through this book in Ecclesiastes as a church, um, it's kind of changed my daily thoughts in how I live. I'm eating chicken chili soup at Cafe Latte, and as soon as I'm done, and I'm looking at an empty bowl, I just go, vanity. I laugh at a funny joke. The laughter stops, and I'm like, vanity again. Going through this book isn't meant to put you in an existential depression, right? I've been tempted to linger there in in the vanity of it all. But seriously, hear me, do this instead. When you notice vanity or meaninglessness, that scary feeling cropping up in your heart, use it as a portal to connect to the Lord. So as I'm eating chicken chili salsa soup and I look down at the bowl and it's gone, the emptiness creeps up and instead of lingering in the void, I thank God and say, Lord, only you have meaning in the meaninglessness that I experience. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Again, use those empty feelings as portals to be filled by the Spirit of God. And that's what death is, ultimately. Death is a portal, If you are in Christ, do not fear death. Death is no longer a steep drop into a pit. Death is no longer a harrowing void into hell. For those who trust in Christ, death is a portal to new life in Jesus, who through death has conquered death and has given us life. The same event happens to us all. Even Jesus, God in flesh, suffered and was subject to that same event. And it was a horrible event, but it is the greatest event for us who find salvation in Christ so that we could have new life with him. Would you pray with me?